It's a date that he will never forget. February 25th, 2007. He had just left to speak an engagement in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and he was traveling home. It was about a six-hour trip, and it was one of those kind of moments where you just decompress from a very busy week as the sun is setting low in the sky. He was thinking about all the different things that had been going on, the conference that he had just spoke at, and then he, his thoughts began to kind of return to where he was going, and that place was home and his loving wife of several years, and the fact that they were about to celebrate an anniversary. Oh yeah, that reminded him that they were also going to attend a wedding together that weekend. It was about that time as the sun was setting low in the sky, and as things were at that difficult time of twilight, cruising down the road at about 65 miles an hour, that he noticed that there was a sharp turn ahead. He crammed on the brakes, tried to negotiate the corner with the Ford Explorer, but as you may know, they were a little top-heavy, and the next thing he knew, the Ford Explorer was rolling like a pinwheel down the ditch, roll after roll after roll after roll, until finally, with a jerk and a shake, it stops on its wheels, but every window in the vehicle blown out, and a stabbing, piercing pain erupting from his neck. It would be a while before emergency personnel were to get there. They would carefully remove him out of the vehicle, strap him to a hard board, and then transport him about 30 to 40 minute journey in the ambulance to the local hospital where x-rays would reveal that the third desk in his neck was absolutely pulverized. And the small town emergency doctor steps in and says, look, the damage did not touch your spinal cord. But bone fragments are all up against major arteries. There's no doubt that they've been nicked. And Philip Yancey in his book says, isn't that just how life works? One moment you're cruising down the road, 65 miles an hour, everything is just okay. In the next moment you find yourself strapped to a board, wondering if you will survive the next few hours in a small-town hospital. The story that we're going to read this morning really starts in a similar way. It's in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, and, and it starts simply with these words, in that year, King Uzziah died. Now, for many of us, King Uzziah doesn't really make much sense. He's not a person that's known to us. But King Uzziah was one of the more popular and more prosperous kings of Israel. He reigned for about 52 years. And in that period of time, he accomplished a great deal. He was able to push the Philistines toward the Mediterranean and eventually out of his country completely. And if you know the Old Testament stories, you know the Philistines were a constant thorn in the flesh of the Israelite people. He also subdued and, and, and stopped the Amorites from creeping in from the south and the Edomites from the north. And not only was he successful in, in military campaigns, but he, he reinforced and rebuilt much of the city of Jerusalem. He built a port city in the Gulf of Aqaba. He championed agriculture and de developed tunnel systems and irrigation systems that turned the once dry parched soils of the desert into an absolutely green environment. He built store cities in those, near those desert cities that were often, often uh, where food scarcities were often a real challenge. And he built an army in Israel of over 300,000 elite fighting men. But it was also a time of uncertainty. 
Because those buildings and those storehouses and that wall fortification weren't just beautification projects. Tiglath-Pileser III, who was the, the leader of the Assyrian nation, began to rattle his saber and he threatened, was threatening the northern tribes of Israel. In fact, it would only be 18 years from that point until the Assyrians would come and conquer the northern 10 tribes of Israel. And ultimately and eventually, they would also lay siege to Jerusalem. But it was also a time of people being very superficial. Everything was surface level. Certainly, they worshiped in the temple. The temple was probably in the best condition that it had been in since Solomon had built it. The priests served at the altar. People went in. Festivals and feasts were observed. But Uzziah had not destroyed the high places. And so while people on, the, on Saturdays worshiped at the temple, all throughout the week, often they would find themselves worshiping other gods in remote locations throughout the land of Israel as well. The story lands in a very kind of perfect storm sort of place. And that's why Isaiah wrote what he wrote. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Rather like, like older generation would say Pearl Harbor Day or, or some of us would remember maybe the day that JFK were shot. Most of us that are at least my age, no doubt, will never forget that time where we watched on TV in horror as planes began to fly into the Twin Towers. We just simply refer to that as 9-11 now or maybe more recently, we just talk about COVID and we know everything that was encapsulated in that 2020-2021 experience. For Isaiah, it was the day or the year that King Uzziah died. That word had spread throughout the neighboring communities and villages that the king was gone. What will become of us now, they wondered. A tsunami of grief, no doubt, swept through the southern kingdom. The flags flew at half-mast, and the nation was on the brink of an emotional breakdown. And it's always interesting what people do in these moments. It's not that they don't come. We know that they will come. But what do we do when these moments come? Some people kind of just, just isolate themselves and lock themselves into their homes. Or, or, or some people gather around in the markets or in the coffee shops and they're going to visit about what's going on. Other people might try to escape out into the refuge of nature. But Isaiah does a very different thing. Isaiah goes to the temple of the Lord. He seeks the presence of the living God. And for Isaiah, it was in the very temple. In the back of the temple, there was the Holy of Holies and, and where the glory of God would dwell between the two upturned wings of the cherubim on top of the, of the little box that was called the Ark of the Covenant. It was the real place, the real, the real instance of God's presence among his people. And it's in that context that our story opens today. If you have your Bibles with you or you have your phone with you, grab that, click over. Isaiah, the sixth chapter and verse number one will be our beginning point. Isaiah is unique in that the story of Isaiah really doesn't start in the beginning of the book because Isaiah was called to prophesy, but he tells the calling of his prophecy in the middle of his book. And that's what we're going to look at today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. 
And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each of them had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And together they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with his glory. Can you imagine that with me today? You walk into the temple. You, you go in for a moment of quiet worship. The giant wooden doors close behind you and you're caught there in the quiet solitude of the inner court. Before you is the, the brazen altar of sacrifice. A thick haze of, of, of incense hangs in the room. Beyond that is the, the thick temple curtain that separates the, the, the immediate room of the temple from the holy of holies, place that only the high priest went only once a year and only with the atoning blood of the sacrifice. And then in the middle of that quiet solitude, that place of peace, that connecting point with God, boom, you are in the presence of the living God. Just like John in the book of Revelation, you're ushered from this dimension to the next dimension. And there you stand face to face with the creator of the universe in all of his power, in all of his might, in all of his glory. And to either side of him, these fearsome looking creatures are, are shouting this message. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole world is filled with his glory. Wow. Talk about blown away. I want to remind us all of something this morning before we jump into this story any farther. And I think it's something that really is important for us to remember every day. Our God is alive. We serve a living God. We are as most of people throughout creation separated from the reality of God's presence, the enormity of God's purpose in the world. God has, for reasons of his own choosing, placed us in the world and although we are aware of the spiritual kingdom and we are, we are aware that, that we are filled with the Spirit and we sense the leading of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives, we don't get to see this. In fact, very, very few people ever have. Isaiah and, 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 uh, and John are the two that kind of jump off the page to us. And other people maybe saw fragments of this, but this is, this is something altogether different. You know, in 50 years or so, there won't be a leader that's leading the nation state right now in the world, most likely that's still in power. Power is so temporary in this world. It just lasts for a short season. If you're the president of the United States, you might argue that's the greatest position of power in the world, but that is limited to an eight-year sentence or term, if you will. And a lot of people only get four of those. In fact, I was looking at some statistics this week that tell us that in 110 years, if population stays the same, in 110 years, the population of the world, this globe, will be about 10 uh, billion people. But I can guarantee that all 6 billion of us that are alive right now will not be here in 110 years. Because life and time move on so quickly. And yet, Isaiah is reminded, as we are reminded this morning, that there is one thing that remains constant throughout all of space and time, and that is the presence of God. God is on his throne. No matter how crazy this world gets, no matter how much grief breaks over uh, the shore of our life, no matter how many times the world seems like it's coming apart at the end, no matter how many times the king dies, the king of heaven, the creator of the universe 
will always be there. And there's one thing that God wants us to know about him above everything else in creation, and that is he is holy, holy, holy. He's set apart. He's very different than us. It, there's this thing about human nature. I don't know why we do this, but from, from the very beginning, humans want to create God in our image. And God is reminding us in every encounter that we have with him that he is not created in our image. We are created in his image. That's why these angels are, are, are shouting this message uh, to whoever and whomever would be listening. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. No matter what happens, whether it be a time of national crisis or a time of personal tragedy, the Lord is always on his throne. And sometimes we just need to see what Isaiah saw. Isaiah goes on to tell us here. He says, and I said, because Isaiah is recording the story, it's kind of unique here, but and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah didn't go like, wow, this is cool. Check that out. Can you believe what I just saw? I can't wait till I can tell my friends about this. No, there was none of that. He was absolutely devastated. He's like, I'm doomed. I'm done. I'm shot. I'm destroyed. Because he recognized immediately what we all need to recognize. Sometimes in our arrogance, we fail to acknowledge that we are unworthy. We are unworthy to stand in that place. I'm not here this morning to tromp all over your self-esteem, but I am here to remind you this morning that I am not worthy, you are not worthy. There's not one of us in this room that compares with the holiness and the goodness of God. He is other than all of us. And I find it very interesting where Isaiah lands. He says, because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognizes, I think, what every one of us in this room recognize, and that is more than any other thing that's a part of our life, this mouth gets us in more trouble. This mouth does more damage. This mouth destroys more good and prevents... Uh, very little evil in the world oftentimes. We are so weak when it comes to what we say. Jesus famously said in Matthew, the 15th chapter and verse number 11, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. I think there's a lot of us this morning are probably very passionate about the things that go into our mouth. Some of us are foodies, right? And we love food and we, we love really good food and we will rave about really good food, but we are equally as opinionated about bad food, right? McKay's been listening to Ratatouille lately. I love that show, right? And you've got that old food critic that comes in there, looks like, a, looks like a, a Dracula or something like that, you know, because when he writes a bad response about it, your restaurant is gone, right? And we are passionate people about our food. We also 
also, some of us, are super passionate about how clean our food is. We want to make sure that our food has been sustainably raised and it's organic and it doesn't contain chemicals and it's not going to make us sick and it's been kept at a correct temperature. And Jesus said, don't worry about all that. You're going to die anyway. Jesus didn't say that. I did. Jesus said, it's not what you're putting into your mouth that's defiling you. Americans are spending more and more money than we ever have on food. We want it perfect. Jesus said, but what comes out of the mouth? This defiles a person. This morning, I just want to say, church family, when we stand before the presence of a living God, for most of us, there's one place where we are the weakest, and that's with these lips. And you can make excuses. We all do that, right? We say, well, you know, everyone says it. Or, But what are we doing with our mouth? Are we taking seriously the passage that says, let no corrupting talk come from your mouth, but only that which is beneficial for building others up according to their need? Or are we just running off at the mouth and expecting that everything should work out and everyone else should give us grace? The Bible says that we will be judged for every careless word spoken. I just can't jump past the fact that here Isaiah, seeking the Lord, walks into the house of God and is confronted by God. And the immediate thing that Isaiah comes away with is he says, I am a dirty mouthed person. And so are the people that I hang out with. We all have our failings. Maybe it's the words we use. Maybe it's the way we use them. Maybe it's the things we're talking about or the people that we're talking about. But I don't think this is just Isaiah's problem. This is Jason's problem. It may be yours as well, and we need to fix it. So what do we do? Isaiah says a very important thing. He said, I am lost. And in order to be found, we have to admit that, in fact, we are lost. I've seen with my eyes the King, the Lord of hosts. What happens next is fascinating. Verse number six, read with me. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken out of the altar. I have so many questions about this, but anyway. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Imagine if you're you're Isaiah and you've just experienced God. You've just heard these seraphim booming voice. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's so loud, it's shaking the building that you're in. And then one of these creatures leaves the presence of God and flutters his way over to this massive bronze altar, reaches into the altar, grabs a burning coal, flies in your direction, and shoves it in your face. You guys there? This is scary. And yet Isaiah stands there, where it'd be paralyzed by fear or paralyzed by faith, I don't know. But he stands there, and it touches his lips. And God does what God has been doing from the very beginning. The angel tells Isaiah, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. There's one thing that's consistent about God from the very beginning until today. From that first story in our vintage series that we looked at, whether it be Adam and Eve in the garden or Adam and Eve's children, whether it be Noah and his family in the ark, whether it be Abraham, whether it be David, God is constantly about changing the result of sin. 
Now, it always leads to death, but he's always about forgiving, about cleansing, about providing freedom from. In fact, that's why his son came into the world in the first place. Isaiah stands before the Lord and he makes it known, I am broken. And God says, I will make you clean. What a beautiful story. Today, there's so many of us that could look at our life and Isaiah looked at his and recognized, you know what, I'm broken. I'm messed up. There's things that are, are imperfect in me. But God has offered us this beautiful opportunity. There's a passage of scripture found in 1 John. The first chapter in verse number eight, and it's one of my favorites. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I find such hope and such peace in this passage. Because I recognize, I think as we all recognize today, while we may have the best of intentions... And our hearts might be each day more focused on the things that God challenges us to focus on. We are always susceptible to failure. The nature that's a part of us will constantly steer us away from the goal that we're pursuing to a diversion that we're trying to avoid. And when we come to that place, Satan can champion that sometimes and say, see, you're just a waste. You're a loser. Why did God send his son to die for you? You're a poor excuse of a child of God. But God reminds us in this text that that is not his message to us. And John, who like all of us understood the need for forgiveness, said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a one of us in this room this morning that don't need to be made clean. There's not one of us in this room this morning that could stand or couldn't stand beside Isaiah and say the same words that he said. I'm a man, I'm a woman, with unclean lips, and I live among a people who also speak in an unclean way. But each of those things had to occur for something very special to happen next. I want you to recognize that that day as Isaiah walked into the temple, God could not use him because there was a problem. So God reveals himself in his glory. He knows Isaiah's heart and he knows that Isaiah is gonna come clean. He's gonna lay everything out on the floor. He's gonna say, look, Lord, this is who I am. I am not worthy of this invitation. I am not worthy of your presence. I'm a broken mess. I can't even even adjust what I say correctly. And God is gonna send his angel. He's gonna atone for that sin. That sin will be taken away which clears away for the calling. You see, none of of the good things could happen in Isaiah's life. God couldn't use him as long as Isaiah hadn't come clean about who he was. And I think there's a lot of us this morning that we're we're content to give God 80 or 90 or 95 or 97% of our life. And we're holding this little piece back for ourselves, right? And guys, I just don't know how to tell you this this morning, but I just beg you to let him have it all. Because he knows it's there. He knows the mess that's there. And whatever crazy things that you're thinking in your mind about that or whatever the, the devil is trying to convince you to hang on to stuff that's dead and broken, it's just much better to do exactly what Isaiah did and say, God, I'm a mess, 
You know, there's this beautiful theme that follows through Scripture almost every time. I cannot think of a time, in fact, where someone didn't honestly say, I'm broken, I'm a mess, that the Lord didn't immediately come and deal with the problem. I'm always drawn to that moment that Peter is walking on the water, and we're all like, rah, Peter, right? You're doing it, man. You're walking on water. This is cool. And it says he sees the wind, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus took him by the hand. God is just waiting for us to surrender so that he can forgive us and send us on a message, on a mission. Verse number seven, Isaiah says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? See, this is another thing that's consistent throughout scripture and that is that God always gives us an opportunity to walk away from or to answer the call. To the disciples, he said, follow me. They had a choice to not follow him. In fact, other people he would offer that same thing to, and they would go away sorrowful because they had wealth or because they had other priorities in their life. God always gives that choice. And so here's this moment, Isaiah's standing, lips still burning from a coal being applied to them, sin forgiven in the presence of God, and God begins to have this conversation, presumably with Jesus, and he says, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? You may have known and experienced that sense of calling in your life. I, I know that I have. Several years ago, now 21 years ago, just a few weeks ago, um, Michelle and I moved here 21 years ago. It blows my mind. I can't believe it. But we were living in northern Minnesota, and I was very happy there. Had a business that I was passionate about and loved building furniture, I, I, had a, I had a ministry that I loved, worked with college kids all the time, loved that, lived in a, we just got a new house on a, on a wildlife lake, there were ducks and deer, and I mean, it was just, it was, I loved my life there. No offense, guys, but I loved my life there. And there had been several times that Mr. Jody and Mr. Bruce had been actually the calling of the Lord. Jason, we really could use help. We really need help with students in the South. And I always had really good answers, you know, like I'm needed here. There's not very many churches in northern Minnesota. Um, the Lord has really using me in a big way right here. But the real truth of the matter was in the back of my mind, I was where I wanted to be. And when that call came, that said that Mr. Bruce had suffered a heart attack, I knew where I had to go. Today, God may be calling you. It may not be go, going to ministry. That's, that's my life. It probably will not be an audible voice in church someday. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. That was Isaiah's story. Right? Throughout scripture, people encountered it differently. Isaiah heard the calling in the temple. Moses heard it in the wilderness. Samuel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jesus, Peter, Paul, they all heard that calling. And so will you. If you haven't heard it already, be prepared for it. Because someday the voice of the Lord will speak in the darkness and say, I am calling you to do this. And you'll know when God, when God calls your name, you know when God's calling your name. If you never experienced that, maybe, maybe one of the things that you have to look at is, where's my relationship with God right now? Or maybe it's just not time yet. Remember, Moses was 80 years of age before the burning bush got his attention. Irregardless, 
Isaiah demonstrates for us today what we need to do when that call comes in. I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. It's a five-word reply to the most important question ever presented. And it's a question that's still being presented today. Who will go for me? Who will go for us? Who shall we send? And I want you to know that if you, if, we're not going to read it for the sake of time today because our time has come and gone. But if you read through what follows this, it's not an easy message that Isaiah is being sent out into. In fact, Isaiah is not being sent on an easy mission at all. The message that God gives Isaiah will not lead to repentance, but will lead to the hardening of people's hearts. Isaiah, we all kind of want to be in a, in a time and in a place where we go out into the world and we preach the message and people like, we've re- we need to repent, we need to come to the Lord, we need to be saved, what must they do, right? That's what we all want. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, others, they didn't have that mission. But they were still faithful. Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. You know, the life of this Hebrew prophet was not an easy life. You read through Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and you run across this final kind of statement, the summary phase of, of that text. In verse number 37, it says that some died by stoning and some were sawn in half and others were killed by the sword. Those names aren't mentioned, but history tells us that the guy who got the middle one, the sawn in half guy, was the very one who was called in the temple into the very presence of the living God. Tradition suggests that King Manasseh will become the, the son of Hezekiah, will become the third king uh, past this point. And King Manasseh, I don't know how best to summarize his life, except to say that he just was intent on worshiping the devil. Everything he did was demonic and was dark and was evil. And so Isaiah flees with, to the mountains of Bethlehem along with Ananias and Joel and Habakkuk and some other faithful servants of God who we don't know their names, and they're hiding out there. But Manasseh is so intent to, to remove this voice of conscience from his people, which was Isaiah, that he hunts him down and he arrests him. And they stick him into a sack and they shove him inside a hollowed out cedar log and they bring the cedar log into the middle of a, of a party that they had. And they got two men in one of those old fashioned cross cut wood saws. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they cut the log with the prophet of God inside of it in two in the presence of all the people. You might say, well, Lord, (laughs) what a waste. But the story of Isaiah was not a waste. Because later in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, Isaiah writes words that on the surface might just be talking about his own ministry. But we know better. While Isaiah died at the teeth of a saw, the one that was talked about in this text died in a very different way. Who has believed what he heard from us? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah's very life and certainly his prophecy is the most powerful reflection of an event that will happen in the future that we have quite possibly in the entirety of Scripture. Jesus was going to come into the brokenness. Jesus was going to enter into the darkness. Jesus was going to become the Savior of the world. And as you look at this story, as it begins to kind of pull apart, we recognize that while Isaiah's life was a story of tragedy, his willingness to step out that day in the temple and say those simple words, here am I, send me, allowed him to be a part of the most powerful and amazing story ever told. His text, written hundreds of years before Jesus would ever come into this world, are undeniable proof of the authority and the power of God. There's no way the humble prophet Isaiah could have ever imagined how Jesus would come, the disposition of Jesus' ministry, or the mode of his execution, unless God had revealed it to him. It reminds us of this truth this morning, that we are, in fact, led by a God who knows the whole of the story. From the very beginning to the very end, God knows each and every moment. He knows each and every intersection. He knows each and every broken heart and life that need to be changed. And today he is calling us in our generation and asking the question he asked Isaiah all those years ago, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And he is waiting simply for you and for I to answer as Isaiah did. Lord, I'm not perfect and I'm broken. Lord, I'm in need of salvation and forgiveness. If you've never never taken the opportunity to have your sins washed away in baptism, to be filled with the Spirit of God, please don't hold off on such an important decision. But then he goes on, (laughs) he says... But Lord, here am I. Use me. Today, the Lord needs willing hearts and willing souls that are willing to do the same thing that Isaiah did, to step out into the darkness of the broken world around us and radiate the glorious light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, church, we're going to stand together. And as we do so, 
I just want to give an opportunity. If there's any of us that know that today is the day that I need to step out and make a change, please don't leave here today without doing that. And maybe there's some of us that just have been hearing that call for a long time in the back of our heads, and we've just never said to the Lord, here am I, Lord, send me. Maybe today is a day for you to say those words as we sing together this beautiful song, Amazing Grace.